the movie? Both. Okay. I want to tell you, um, I started the book 10 years ago. The book's been out for 10 years, and it became this controversial book. We were in Minnesota, and um, I stop it. I didn't say it that way. Minnesota. And um, I sometimes get my Minnesotan and my Southern Tennessee mixed up. So I'll say better button up y'all. And it doesn't fly always. But anyway, we were in Minnesota and this book came out and it was really skeptical to a lot of people because we were at a time when Believe it or not, just 10 years ago, um, Google wasn't what it was, Facebook wasn't what it was, and there wasn't as much social media out there. So we honestly had to actually read it ourselves to form our own opinion. And that's really hard nowadays. One of the things I love, if I can embarrass Don and Jenny Nissen real quick, today they might have stepped out. Um, One of the things that, oh, I see you back there. One of the things that, nope, that's somebody else. (laughs) I need glasses. One of the things I love about Don and Jenny Nissen is they have they have no no electronic gadgets in their home. They listen to the Cub World Series on the radio. Yeah, I know. And they um, don't have cell phones. They don't have emails. If if you say, hey, I'm going to shoot you an email about something, Don will go, you can try. But I, he's never had one, never, never wanted one. And there's an envious part of me that says how great it is not to have the masses of the world's opinions and thoughts shoved up my nose every day. And they just live their life that way. And it's just very sweet. Um, so my husband and I had started before we, um, when we saw the first trailer for this movie, we were like, we are definitely going to go see this movie. And it was so funny because people, we, we always wait till $5 Tuesdays because why pay more on Friday night to be in a big crush when you can pay less on Tuesday night to be in a big crush? And I just, you know, what does Mike always say? Work smarter, not harder. So I went with my husband, uh, my friend Shannon, and uh, our two oldest kids to see this movie, The Shack. Um, if you don't know about it, it's it's a man's journey in what's called his great sadness. Um, something horrible happened to his family, and um, he was given an invitation to come back to the place where this horrible thing happened with his daughter. And um, he thought it was a joke. He thought it was someone playing on his grief. And he he went. And what it actually was was God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So before we'd even seen the movie, it came out on a Friday night, I started getting just downloads from people of how it was so heretical that if you go to see this, then you've lost your discernment abilities. If you go to see this movie, then you're not really Christian. And so I just pretty much wanted to go see it even more. (laughs) I can't wait to go see this movie because if Hollywood is going to figure out whether I'm a Christian or not, then let's kind of see what kind of Christian I am. So we went to this movie, um, and I, 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 I said I started the book ten years ago, and people would say, "Have you read the book?" And I always say, "Yeah, kind of," but I, I remember distinctly putting the book down because it was evoking emotions in me that at the time I was not going to deal with. Um, I was, I, you know, in the book. The main character, uh, one of the main characters, which is God, is a uh, beautiful black woman and calls herself Papa. Oh, ooh, that's not what I know to be God. God is my nice little God. God. And, you know, Holy Spirit was a, an Asian woman in the, in the movie, in the book. No, the Holy Spirit I grew up with, we called him the Holy Ghost, and we would go and hide from him in classrooms and play hide-and-seek with the Holy Ghost, and if you got caught by the Holy Ghost, you're out. You know, everything about my theology was being tested, and so it was easy for me to just put the book down. But we went to see the movie, and um, Stephen, my sweet husband, he's always thinking two steps ahead. He grabbed a ton of napkins. I'm like, you are really going to be messy with that hot dog, aren't you? And he was like, no, it's for when you start to cry. And I'm like, I'm not going to cry. Oh, I didn't cry. I ugly cried. I had snot pouring out of my face. I was heaving so much that he actually looked at me. He's like, 
are you okay? And I'm like, this is so much truth in one place. And it's such a beautiful picture of the father's love and his intimate connection with me that um, I just couldn't stand it. I just had to let it just pour out of me. So I'm not preaching about the shack today, but I will say it brought up something. I didn't know I was preaching today when we saw it last Tuesday. Um, and my husband thought it would be really kind to go get sick on me. So thanks a lot. Um, I know, but I, I, I thought at first God was going to take me to, to the path of talking about the shack. And so working on my, my message, working on it, and pretty soon God was speaking to me going, you know, that's really great that you want to, you know, talk about it, but here's something else I want to talk about. And so when I kind of let go of my ideas for today and opened up to his ideas, um, I got 17 pages, so bear with me. Okay, never mind. It's 23. Um, (laughs) Every part of that movie, though, I will say, reminds me of the ministry, the Sozo ministry. I just want to tell you really quick, um, Sozo Ministry is a prayer ministry that is um, birthed out of the idea that Jesus didn't just come to save, he came to save, deliver, and heal. And taking people through prayer ministry to kind of cover, um, uncover the lies we've thought and and grown accustomed to and fill them, like unroot the lies and fill them with truth, God's truth. So it's a very powerful ministry. And so your next question might be, you know, we've heard about Sozo for two years. Why don't we have that ministry here? And then there's just one absolute answer, um, because he said so. And I trust him because he trusts God. He listens, he hears, and he's a he's an amazing man of, of grace and conviction and he promised we would not change the channel, God, wherever you're going, that's where we're going. So it's great that I've been through the training five times now. I should be like a master sozoer. But um, this ministry just hasn't started here. And that's okay. Yet. Yet. It's not started here yet. That's that's totally okay. Um, talking about our internet interactions, I actually have an app on my phone. So... How many of you guys have phones? Yeah. Okay, six of you. And um, how many, you know, you know what apps are. They're like um, applications you can use on your phone. So I have one called Time Hop, and it's where I can look at my life, uh, what I was doing a year ago, three years ago, seven years ago. Um, I think the farthest back it goes is eight years. Um, So... I look at it every day, like, ha-ha, what did I say a year ago on Facebook, or what was going on? And so as I was preparing this message, my time hop came up, and it was reminding me a story of our Sally. Now, picture six years ago, Sally was three, and she was um, delightful. She was just super delightful, but I wasn't so delightful, See, I have a way of um, door kicking, making things happen that I think needs to be happening, and I forget sometimes to run these things past my husband, and maybe it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission, you know? So um, in my time hop, I was reading that six years ago, I had scheduled a carpet cleaning company to come and clean our carpets. We had ivory carpets, and so with four kids under the age of 10, and a, a dog and um, my husband, I'm clean. I'm very clean. Um, we were really struggling with keeping the carpets clean. I was killing myself trying to steam and spot clean and all that. So I'm like, forget it. I got this advertisement in the mail, carpet cleaning, $22 per room or for the whole house or whatever. But it, it sounds too good to be true. Therefore, it must be true. So I scheduled these people to come. And the day of, I told my husband, oh, um, have a great day at work. I love you so much. We're getting our carpets cleaned. I'll see you tonight. We're having roast beef. And he stopped and goes, what was that? I said, roast beef? And he said, no, the other part. And I said, we're getting our carpets cleaned today. And I thought if I could just slip it in, he'd be okay. And he looked at me and said, Jody Abbott, we're not getting our carpets clean. And so then the why question, like Why? Why don't you want us to have a clean? Well, this is your fault. You had all these kids. You know, I totally put it on him. And he, um, 
he just looked at me, and I'll never forget. It's very rare that he has to do this. Okay, it should be rare, but <laughs> it happens every week um, where he'll look at me, and he'll say, we are absolutely not doing that. And boy, that really clips my wings. I don't like my wings being clipped. I, I see a project. I get the project done. We move on to the next project. That's how I live my life. And so God quickly highlighted to me that he was my authority, and I would not dare go out from under his authority most of the time. So I, um, he made me call this carpet place. They were going to be there like at 9, and I was 8 o'clock calling them going, um, I'm sorry, i got to cancel. And of course, they were trying to, well, we'll give it to you for $11. We'll give it to you for $3. We'll come and pay you to clean your carpets. I mean, and, and still every answer was no, no. And I just felt like it was a chance to obey authority. Well, wouldn't you know, that night, my sweet Sally, my three-year-old, got up and vomited all over the house. I'm pretty sure she diabolically went into every single room in the very middle and threw up red Kool-Aid. I don't know what it was, but if I'd had my carpets clean that day, what a mess. And God was showing me really quickly that um, authority is not there to, to... put their thumb on me, but to actually make my life easier, you know, to give up my authority and to be submitted to someone. Are you recording this? Yeah, whatever, liar, liar, pants on fire. Um, uh, To be put under submission to an authority is sometimes the hardest thing because we think, oh, you're going to clip my wings. You're going to take away what, what makes me me. And to be honest, I I see now that if I'd had my carpets cleaned and then my daughter had puked all over them, my life would have been much harder, and I would have had anger and impatience, and I'd somehow find a way to blame it all on Steve also. So craftiness in that. So <laughs> anyway, all that to say, when my husband um, looks at his uh, adult ministries pastor, looks at his wife, looks at whatever title I'm wearing for the day, and says, I don't think this is the time. There's a piece of me that wanted to say, what? I've, been, I've gone through this training ad nauseum. I, I can preach it. I can teach it. I love the Godhead. I love all this. What? But there was the other part of me, the bigger, um, massive Holy Spirit part of me that just said, I trust you. I trust you. You know what you're doing? This is, this is our church, but this is your, the, your, you're the apostle to this church. You're the big man. You're the kahuna. You're all of that. And it's just going to make my life harder if I try to circumvent and co and do my own thing. I'm responsible for my atmosphere, and my atmosphere needs to be under your atmosphere. Um, that's period. So that was just a, a side note sermon, and that one's for free. We won't do offering right now. Um, we're just going to keep going. I'm joking. Um, no. <laughs> we do an offering for my carpets to be cleaned. Okay, as we come upon the Easter season, um, we tend to get bitter questions about people that people have about God's goodness. Like, if God were so good and so merciful, why did he kill his son? You know, um, where is God when I'm in pain, when I'm hurting, when I have questions? Why is God's voice so soft, yet when I'm, you know, having just the greatest day, he seems so clear to me? These questions start to come up, and I started to think about the Easter season. I had a sweet little girl in my school come to me one night, you know, as we're trying to get four kids out the door into the van and three dogs and I don't know, extra kids or something. Um, this little girl came, comes to me and she goes, Miss Jody, I have a question for you. I'm like, yes, no, maybe, just pick one. And she said, why don't you have a cross on your stage? You have a hedgehog, but why don't you have a cross? And so it took me a second to just put aside what I needed to do because this little girl had a valid question. Why don't we have the cross on the stage? Um, we've had crosses before. We have a hedgehog now. We, to be honest, if I had my choices of what to have on the stage, I'd have a big old ugly tomb with the 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 rock rolled away and um, clothes sticking outside of it. I think that's a better representation of the resurrected power of Jesus Christ, not the cross, because that reminds me of the sacrifice, the blood that he had to go through, the agony. So as I'm getting my message together, God was really speaking to me about, this one thought of, and 
this just knocked me away. So I hope it does you too. Um, if there was no one else on this earth but me, if it was just me, no one else, he still would have sent his son for me. That's it. That's it. He, he would have chosen me a hundred times over. We say to our kids, you know, if we lined up a hundred Sams, Samuels, all across the wall, if we, we would go down the line. I think my father-in-law started this, actually. Um, you can tell me yes or no, but if we lined them all up, all across the wall, I would go down until I found you and I would choose you. And we've, uh, we've always said that to our kids. Like, I would choose you every single time because you are mine. And I just think that about Jesus. Like, he, when he was on the cross, he was thinking of me. I'll come to that a, bit, a little bit more. But before we get to the cross, I actually wanted to, if you would please just um, give me this moment. I really want to uh, talk about creation. I know. You can't get to the cross without creation or, or vice versa. So I'm just going to read a narrative. And let me propose that this is how it could have gone down. Do not open your Bibles to Genesis and try to follow along. Um, this, is, uh, it, this is how it could have gone down in the garden with Adam and the woman. And don't get stuck in the mundane or the little details. Like people have done with the shack. They've gotten stuck with, well, God's not a black woman. God's a man with a white beard. Or you can't call him Papa. His name is Father God. And don't get stuck in that area. But just listen listen to my story. I actually took this from a book from Chris Vallotton, uh, Fashion to Rain. Pretend I'm Adam. The other day I was walking through the garden with God and feeling kind of sad. He was teaching me some new words, but I felt preoccupied and disconnected. He gently put his hand on my shoulder and looked deep into my soul. His intensity made me uncomfortable. It seemed as though an eternity had passed as we stared at each other in silence. Tears formed in his eyes and he said, Adam, Adam, you're lonely, aren't you? God, I responded, I'm not lonely when you're with me. I just have no other friends like you. You complete me. I feel whole and happy when I'm around you. But when you're not with me in the garden, I'm bored and disinterested in, in the others. I need someone I can relate to in, in the same way I can relate to you. I long for companionship, a soulmate, someone I can share my life with. I want to be with someone who needs my protection, who longs for my infection, who can help me understand how to deal with my vulnerabilities the way you do when you're with me. Adam, you're right. It isn't good for you to be lonely. I have someone in mind designed especially for you. You're with me. I have, uh, we walked into the beautiful meadow full of flowers. The tree of life stood in the middle of the meadow. God picked me up and set me on one of its large branches. I watched in complete and utter amazement as he reached down into the meadow, scooped up soil from the ground, and formed creatures from the dirt. He carefully molded each one with his hands, and then he breathed on it. When he did that, the creature would suddenly come to life, flying things, crawling things, which I could have done without, but crawling things, some small and others massive. God's creativity was infinite. At first I thought these creatures were just random manifestations of God's creativity. But as I watched more carefully, I realized that every creature unveiled some specific mystery of his divine nature. He received so much joy from fashioning each beast and bird that he chuckled out loud as they ran off or flew away. When God had finished creating all of the animals, he looked over at me and said, Adam, now name all the creatures I just created. Three winters passed as God looked on patiently while I named the living creatures. They migrated by species to the place where the four rivers met and the land in the Garden of Eden. I sat on a big boulder at the mouth of the river with water gushing out beneath me, and God sat by my side. All the animals were rather docile as they drank from the river. Distinct pictures came to emerge in my mind as I observed each creature that came forward to drink. All of a sudden, a name would settle on my heart. Because the look he had on his face, somehow I think the Lord was taking part in all of this. He laughed when I yelled out each name and he, as he taught me to do. For instance, the other day I was watching a passive animal, so meek and shy, drink from the water. Suddenly, this picture surfeited, surfeited, 
surfeited, surfaced in my mind of the animal aggressively sneaking through the brush, running like the wind and roaring loudly. I pointed to the creature and shouted, Lion, your name shall be called Lion. The large beast looked up at me as if to say, What did you just do to me? Immediately, it let out a loud roar that echoed through the garden, and it ran fiercely into the brush. I got scared and covered my ears. God chuckled and said, you're helping me. I did not understand what he meant, but it was sure fun. I felt as though I was co-creating with God. He formed the animals, he gave them life, and I called them by names that were determined by their nature. When I finally finished naming the living creatures, God looked over at me and said, Adam, what do you think? I like them all, God, but I don't really think a pet's going to fulfill my need for companionship. I want someone, someone who isn't just with me, but is a part of the very essence of who I am. Adam, it's important for you to remember what you learned from the animals. Although they're amazing, they will never meet your need for companionship, God responded. We walked through the meadow for a while in complete silence. God is always quiet when he's imagining. Some time passed, and suddenly he got this curious look on his face. Adam, he said with a chuckle, you're really going to love this. By now, God was beaming all over. I had a feeling that whatever he was about to do had actually been in his heart for a long time. What do you have in mind, I pressed. It's a surprise, son, but you're going to be so happy, God teased. Lie down right here in the tall flowers, and I'll show you. The last thing I remember was asking God a bunch of questions, and then, bam, I was out cold. I must have been asleep all night because when I woke at sunrise, I sat up in the tall grass and tried to understand what had happened to me. I felt strange, different, changed. It's hard to explain what was going on in my heart. My left side was kind of tingling. I reached my hand over to feel it and discovered a long scar that had been healed completely. I looked down in the grass where I lay, and I saw a small puddle of blood and water. I sat there for a long time trying to, grasp, trying to get a grasp on my condition. Something essential and significant was missing from my being. I sensed that aggression had been dramatically increased in me, and I was less intuitive. I was mystified, and my feelings perplexed me. In the midst of my bewilderment, I heard a noise in the trees nearby. I knew it was God because the ground always shook when he walked. I stood up to greet him, and then I saw the most beautiful creature I'd ever seen in my life holding his hand. She started giggling innocently as they drew near. I ran to meet them, completely losing control. I was so excited I could not contain myself. I began jumping around and yelling, She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. God was laughing so hard as he watched me jump and shout. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I started touching woman's skin. It was so soft. Her long hair glistened in the sunlight. She sort of clung to God while I stared at her, waves of passion flowing through my soul in a way that I had never felt before. I grabbed woman by the hand and gently pulled on her arm. She looked up to God as if asking if it was all right to go with me. God let go of her other hand and motioned her to follow me. He obviously had not had time to teach her how to talk yet. Adam, you watch over a woman and be gentle with her. We were both laughing as we ran down the meadow. I yelled back, I will. Many different animals were drinking along the bank. I was eager to show her everything God had made. She kept pointing at the wildlife and smiling. Sometimes she would say, wow, wow. I would say a creature's name as out loud as she pointed to it. She would try to repeat the name after me, and we were having so much fun. Suddenly, a lion emerged from the trees with a loud roar. Woman became so excited that she began running toward the lion. I could hear her breathing hard as I pursued her. I think the lion is showing off for you, I shouted as I chased her. I finally caught up to woman in the meadow, put her arms around her, put my arms around her and held her near me. She seemed to like that. I laid her head on my shoulder and I stroked her long, beautiful hair. The lion always acts tough, I said, hoping she would understand. But I think the lion likes you. Everything God created tells us something about him. 
I do not think she understood much of what I was saying to her in those first several days, but it was fun to tell her things anyway. I was eager to show her the part of the garden I was cultivating. I took her by the hand and led her down river to an orchard God had planted. I'd been working here, and I picked some fruit from a tree, took a bite of it myself, and handed it to her. Taste it. You'll like it. I said as I nudged her hand to her mouth. She reluctantly took a small bite. Suddenly, her eyes lit up. She looked over at me, smiled, and ate the rest of the fruit. It was funny watching her experience eating the first fruit for the first time. Juice ran down her face as she devoured the fruit. After that, woman loved eating any kind of fruit. I looked up and saw God watching us in the distance. Obviously, he was happy. I waved at him and mouthed, thank you, God. He smiled and mouthed back, I love you, man. God is awesome, I mused out loud. Many seasons have come and gone since that day that I first met woman. At first, God often joined us in the cool of the day and walked with us through the garden. I did not take long, it did not take long to teach woman how to talk. She's really smart and learns certain things much faster than I do. One day, God approached us in a serious mood. He took us both by the hand and walked with us to the middle of the garden. I knew then that we were going to have the talk. God took us over to the two trees in the midst of the garden and began his firm exhortation. He had already talked to me about these two trees a long time ago. This is my favorite tree, God said, showing us the fruit. It is the tree of life. You may eat from it whenever you like. Then his voice became stern as he turned to the second tree, and he said, This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from it, because it will kill you one day. I did not say anything to God, but the fruit of the tree of life did not look very inviting. It was kind of thorny in shape. The other tree had beautiful fruit on it, made you want to taste it. Woman and I glanced at each other, and I could tell she was thinking the same thing. It was a little hard for me to see God being so intense, but woman seemed to process God's urging differently. I was not sure why at the time, but later I realized that she was much more intuitive which often caused her to understand God from another perspective. The season was beginning to change, and God had made for us to stay in it while it was chilly. Women liked to decorate the cave walls by etching pictures on the animals or of me or on them. She's really good at etching and often spent several days of time working on the walls. After some time, she had the idea of using her pictures to tell stories about things that we were experiencing so we would never forget them. Woman is so creative and intuitive. Whenever God was with us, she seemed to know what he was thinking before he talked. After God would leave, she and I would have long conversations about the things that she would feel when he was near. One time I got alone with God in the garden and told him what woman was feeling. He nodded in agreement and smiled at me as if to say, Adam, you just don't get it, do you? The truth is, I do not understand how she knows things about God and about me that he has not told her. But I seem to remember having similar experiences before the woman was taken out of me. I will have to learn to trust her ability to understand things intuitively that I cannot seem to recognize logically. One day, while I was down by the river planting corn, woman was walking by herself through the meadow and looking for colored stones to use in her etchings. A beautiful creature met her in the midst of the meadow and engaged her in conversation. I'd caught glimpses of him hiding amongst the trees in the forest long before God had made the animals and let me name them. This creature was much taller than I was and had long blonde hair. His eyes were deep blue and his body was shaped much like mine, except his skin glistened in the sun. He had two awesome wings on his back, but I never saw him fly. Later, woman told me that the beautiful creature's wings had been broken by a great fall. She told me that he blamed God for this. Maybe that is why the beautiful creature never came around when God was hanging out with us. One time I was down by the river getting some water when, suddenly, when I suddenly came upon this beautiful creature. I must have startled him because he immediately disappeared. I could sense that he did not like me. A few minutes later, I felt the ground trembling beneath my feet and knew God was near. The animals often heard him coming before I did. The garden would become charged with excitement. The birds especially liked to put on a show for God, flying around, all around him, while the animals all rushed to be near him. God enjoys all of his creatures. He often laughed as we watched them play together. I decided that it, I would bring up the beautiful creature that day. 
God, I said. There's a creature I didn't name who keeps watching me from the trees in the distance. Today I saw him down by the river, and I must have surprised him because he took off running. I can tell that for some reason he doesn't like me. I looked up into God's eyes and added, I'm sorry, but I don't trust him. I was a little uneasy telling God this. I'm never allowed to talk negatively about any of the creatures he has made because he says they are very good and display different aspects of his nature. God stared back at me at silence. His face grew somber and his eyes were full of disappointment. He frowned and said, It's the serpent. God did not have to say anything else. Somehow I understood that the serpent was an ancient rival from past age. God shook his head as if to say, trust your instincts. Then the silence was broken as woman came running through the meadow and jumped into God's arms. She was kissing him on both cheeks and he was teasing her. I always loved it when God played with us. He is so funny and we were having so much fun that day that I forgot to tell God about seeing woman talking to the serpent. Over the next year, I saw this beautiful serpent interacting with woman several times in the meadow. I expressed my concerns indirectly to her because she seemed to like him, and I did not want to hurt her feelings. Woman is sensitive. I also did not tell her about my conversation with God concerning the serpent. Looking back, I wish I, I, wish I would have. None of the animals can talk, so it was easy to see, so it was easy to see why woman liked the serpent. Woman enjoys talking much more than I do. And the <laughs> I just got that. <laughs> okay, this is all a lie. Okay, woman enjoys talking much more than I do. And the serpent's beauty was spectacular. When I went off to work in the garden, she would often walk through the orchard and pick fruit. The serpent met her there more and more frequently. I do not know if I was jealous of the serpent or if I just didn't like him. But I knew that God did not trust him either. Woman is much more intuitive than I am, so I thought she would know if the serpent was bad. But woman kept telling me about all the things she was learning from the serpent. It confused me. The serpent seemed so intelligent, and he was much more beautiful than any of the other living creatures. Woman appeared mesmerized by his splendor and wisdom. He must have known that I did not like him, though, because he disappeared any time he saw me coming. On the saddest day there ever was, woman and I were standing in the middle of the garden between two trees God had planted. Woman picked some fruit from the forbidden tree of knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil. We're not supposed to mess around with fruit from that tree, I said. Woman, you know what God told us about the tree. Adam, woman responded in a sweet voice. The beautiful creature said that the fruit from this tree tastes great and it will make us smart, like God. He asked me why God would plant a tree in the garden if he didn't want us to eat its fruit. And he said God is trying to keep us from being as smart as he is. Before I could say anything else, woman took a bite of the fruit. Instantly, her eyes lit up and she shouted, Wow, this fruit is amazing. She began to speak about things that I've never heard God talk about. Adam, you have to try this fruit. It tastes so good, and it's opening my mind to comprehend things in a new way. Whoa, Adam, come on, honey, take a bite. Oh, my goodness, come on, just one bite. If you don't like it, you can just spit it out. Woman looked so happy that I decided to try the fruit myself. She fed me a piece, and as soon as I took a bite, my eyes were also opened. Wow, I shouted. I felt amazing, so I took another bite. Something awakened in me, I said with a loud voice. As the day wore on and the sun began to set in the distance, our consciences were slowly awakened. We somehow realized that we were naked, and we felt embarrassed. I grabbed woman by the arm and pulled her into the trees. We both wept because we felt so guilty. We quickly gathered some leaves and tried our best to weave them together to cover our parts. I knew something had gone terribly wrong because the garden grew silent. Even the birds stopped singing. Moments later, I felt the ground beginning to vibrate underneath us, and I knew God was near. Woman and I rushed into the forest to hide ourselves because we felt ashamed and did not want to face him. He stood in the meadow, weeping and waiting. My heart broke as I peered through the bushes and saw the look on his face. Adam, Adam, God shouted in a somber voice, Adam, where are you? 
The entire earth shook and the animals fled as God yelled my name. Adam, son, did you eat from the tree from which I told you not to eat? Adam and woman, come out right now and speak to me. I'd never heard God talk to us in that tone of voice before. Trembling from head to toe, I made my way out of the brush. Woman followed, weeping uncontrollably as we emerged together from the trees. I will never forget the look on God's face as we approached him. Adam, God said with a deep sigh, what have you done? I was so scared that I hardly could form the words. The woman, you gave me that woman. And the woman you gave me talked me into tasting the fruit. I said, staring at the ground. Adam, look at me in the eyes, God said. You haven't just disobeyed me. You have obeyed your wife instead of me. He turned to woman next. Woman, what have you done? He asked in an angry voice. Weeping hard, woman faltered. I don't know. I listened to the serpent and he lied to me. It's not my fault, God. It's not my problem. Adam, woman, I gave you both leadership over the world. And you chose to change masters and obey the serpent. I told you both not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the serpent told you to eat its fruit, and you chose to obey him instead of me. I caught a glimpse of the serpent hiding in the grove of trees. He was watching us from a distance with a sinister look on his face. He mocked us, especially woman, snickering with a creepy laugh as God reprimanded us. Suddenly God looked up at the serpent and commanded him to come down. The serpent trembled as he obeyed. He could not look God in the eye. God's voice thundered through the garden as he shouted to the serpent, You are cursed, cursed beyond all cattle and wild animals, cursed to crawl on your belly and eat dirt all of your life, God continued. I declare that from, now, from this day forth, the woman will be at war with you. All of her children will hate you for the rest of your days. They will stomp on your head so hard that they will bruise their heel. Woman and I watched in shock as the beautiful serpent was transmortified before our eyes. He groaned in agony as his skin was suddenly covered in scales. His arms and legs withered up and he crashed to the ground with a loud thud, his head hitting the dirt first. His wings and hair disintegrated like dust. He slithered off into the, wood, into the weeds that were now rapidly overtaking the garden. God turned to woman who was trembling uncontrollably and whispered, I'll multiply your pain in childbirth. You'll give birth to your babies in pain. You'll want to please your husband, but he will lord it over you. My heart broke as I listened to God's curse over a woman. Next, God turned around and looked me in the eyes. Tears were streaming down his face, which was riddled with betrayal. Adam, God said, his voice quivering with emotion, Because you listened to your wife instead of to me and ate from the tree I forbade, the very ground is cursed because of you. Getting food from the ground will be as painful for you as having babies is for your wife. You will work in pain all of your life. The ground will sprout thorns and weeds. You will get your food the hard way, planting and tilling and harvesting, sweating in the fields from dawn to dusk until you return to that ground yourself, dead and buried. You started out as dirt, and you'll end up as dirt. When God has finished cursing us, he said sternly, wait here. Woman and I watched as he disappeared into the forest. A short time later, we heard a terrible sound off in the distance. God emerged from the wilderness at sunset with two animal skins that he had fashioned into clothing for us. Put these on, God said sadly. They will cover your naked body so that you will not live in shame. The skins fit perfectly, but I was struck by the grief that I could feel emanating from God's being. I knew then that one of his precious creatures had died to provide me with those skins. Then God sent us into a cave while he stood in the meadow near the tree of life. Woman and I both fell asleep, but early the next morning we woke to voices talking in the meadow. The ground was trembling more violently than I had ever experienced before. Woman and I rushed to the mouth of the cave to see what was going on. We saw the Godhead talking together. Two huge heavenly creatures flew in a circle above them. Woman got scared and ran deep into the caves as if she somehow sensed the outcome of their discussion. 
I stood there trembling in awe as the ramifications of woman and me eating from the tree of life now that we had eaten from the other forbidden tree. They discussed the possibility of creation living in this broken condition for eternity. I heard something about a lamb that was killed long before the world was created, but I did not understand why or what it meant. When the conversation was over, God commanded the heavenly beings to land on the earth and guard the tree of life. The beings pulled out flaming swords from their sides and patrolled the garden in every direction. They were, ter- they were terrifying to watch. The rest of the Godhead disappeared, and God began walking toward the cave. My heart was beating out of my chest as he drew near. He called in a stern voice, Adam, woman, come out here to me now. Trembling, we both emerged. We were terrified. I remembered God's words to me many seasons ago. In the day that you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. God looked at us with tears in his eyes and says, Get out of the garden right now. Go. Woman hurried to gather her stones that she used to etch on the cave walls, but God stopped her. Woman, leave your things and do what I told you. Don't you understand me? Run. You have given authority I gave you to rule the earth to the serpent. Now you must stay away from the tree of life, lest the world live in its condition forever. We fled the garden, and suddenly I felt so dead inside. How can we live without a relationship with God? I wondered. I could tell that woman was struggling too. We had been put in charge of the earth, and now we have lost our authority. Surely the ugly serpent, cursed by God, would not rule the world now. Or would he? Grief and confusion plagued my soul. To be disconnected from God, that was never his intent. To be in a constant communion with the Godhead, the Trinity, the three-in-one, Father God, Abba, Papa, Elohim, Daddy, Jesus, my friend, my lover, my Savior, and the Holy Spirit, my comforter, my teacher. From the beginning of time, I was created to dream with God, to walk with him, to talk with him as a child would talk to her parent, as a lover would to her beloved, as a friend would to her favorite. But because of the garden, the plan was broken. So we come into this season of Easter. The biggest question that I find to answer is, was Jesus dying for my sins a plan B? Like, did he mess up plan A and so he had to have plan B? And it was revealed to me that Jesus was always the plan. I'm good water would be great. Um, Thank you. That Jesus was always the plan. Thank you. (laughs) Which begs the question, if God preferred a cruel death of his son over some other plan of salvation, then God cannot be kind and merciful and good, right? Scripture tells us that God is full of power, grace, wisdom, covenant, love, and compassion. If we believe our God is all-powerful, all-wise, and full of mercy and compassion, then we must reject the notion that he was limited in his choice of the means for our salvation. He could have indeed chosen another way than the cross. But God showed from the garden that the consequence of sin was blood. Could you imagine the pain of killing something just to cover up my sin? On a lighter note, I actually um, have a very strong memory of my first sin. I was two. It's actually my first memory, and it involved a massive blood sacrifice. Um, I'll tell you, my mom had always said, do not jump on the furniture. What does she know? Um, So my brother, who was a year and a half older than me, and I, we were playing sharks in the carpet, which was a really fun game with shag carpet because you couldn't see him as well. So we were playing sharks in the carpet, and he jumped on one side of the coffee table, and I jumped on the other. And my dad had made this coffee table, so it was like 300 pounds. But um, 
he jumped on one side, I jumped on the other. Uh, my mom walked in the room, and uh, Jefferson, my brother, jumped off really quick and acted like nothing was going on. And I'm stood standing on the edge of a coffee table, and it flips up behind me and cracks me in the back of the head, and I literally bite my tongue off. My tongue goes flying across the room. I know. I know you're wondering how I can talk so well nowadays. But um, the blood, I will never forget the blood. And I've actually asked my mom, you know, is this just me being two and remembering this? But I remember my mom grabbing my tongue and taking it and me into the bathroom and holding me over the bathtub. And blood filled the whole bottom of the bathtub because your your tongue actually has a nerve, has has a heartbeat in a sense, there's just a blood vessel that goes from your heart to your tongue. And so it was just pouring out the blood. And she grabbed me up and she held me over the um, the tub and, and then called their doctor. And our doctor wasn't like uh, urgent care down the street. Our doctor was in a town called Greenville, which was 45 minutes away on switchback mountain roads. So it was curvy. You couldn't go straight. There were no highways going there. And the doctor said, bring her in now. And told her what to do. And she stuck the tongue back in my mouth and held it there for this. And wrapped me in a quilt. And my dad drove all the way to get to the doctor. And believe it or not, they sewed it back on. And it works just fine. So, but that, (laughs) I will never forget the blood. I know that sounds horrible, but I will never forget that first time I remember purposely disobeying my parents. And this... (laughs) The sacrifice of a couple of leaders that went with it. Why? The question I I do love, I ask a lot of questions here today, but they're mostly for thought, not because I have all the answers, but why would God choose to create me if I offer him nothing in return except pain and wrong choices? Have you ever thought that? Like, why did you create man if you knew they were just going to mess it all up? Me not offering him anything out of coercion takes away any pressure that I would have to perform for God. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit are completely fulfilled within themselves. This is one of the things that I so love is that just the three of them are completely fulfilled. They don't need me. They don't have to have me to complete the Trinity. I'm not, you know, so important for that. They complete themselves in that place. On top of that, they chose me which is just amazing. The, they created me for his satisfaction, not for my own. The prophet Isaiah wrote about Jesus' death on the cross in Isaiah fifty three eleven. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. Jesus looks at those who have been delivered from eternal judgment by his tortured sacrifice on the cross and says, we were worth it. Worth the anguish, the pain, the awful judgment of God for our sins, worth death. Get this. I said this earlier. If I were the only person on this planet, he would still go to that cross just for me. He would still be there just for me. God has not set up his character to control me. He established his character to let me have love and free will and choice in my life, just like Adam and woman. He sets us up for success. He doesn't set truth before us, and and then mumble out the instructions so that we, what? I had a hard time hearing that. He is so concise in his directions for us in our lives, in our guidebook called the Bible, in our relationship with Father God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. He's so specific in what he wants. He doesn't leave a little loophole hoping that we fall through it and, oops, I've got to go save him again. No, he sets it up in perfection. And it's our job to choose him as our master, not the world, not the left or the right. Steve's not my, my ultimate master. Steve's not the one who saves me. Steve is a joy. He is my joy, my delight. Just like, you know, in a way when God, Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, you, me, I am the joy set before you. Could you imagine joy while you're hanging on a cross after 39 lashes with a whip? embedded with bone, after being beaten black and blue, nails driven through your 
hands and your feet, the last thing I would be thinking is, oh, this is joy. I would be thinking, just let me die, just let me go. But you know what? Jesus wasn't thinking that. He was thinking, Jody, I do this for you. Delma, did it for you. Put your name in there. He did this for you. And if you were the only person here on this earth, he still would have done it. These things I've spoken to you, John 15 and 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And the Apostle John wrote, we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy in 1 John 1, 4. God says, his wor- says in his word that everything is going toward his purpose and his plan. And how that can that be with pain and suffering still in the world? He might not cause all the hurt, but sometimes feels like he doesn't do much to stop it. I'm just going to play you a, a little video um, from the shack. It's called Almighty God. You're the Almighty God, right? You know everything. You're everywhere, all at once. You have limitless power. Yet somehow, you let my little girl die. When she needed you most. You abandoned her. I never left her. If you are who you say you are, Where were you when I needed you? Son, when all you see is your pain, you lose sight of me. You lose sight of me. I think that is beautiful. When all I see is what I'm going through, I lose sight of the God who's going through it with me. He never leaves us. He never puts us to the side. He doesn't say, you know what, I need to go handle this situation. You muddle through this one by yourself, and I'll, I'll catch up with you later. He is by my side. I, I sometimes prayer walk, and when I do, I sometimes just put my arm out like this and um, pretend I've got my arm around Jesus' waist because I just, if he says he's by my side, I'm going to hold on to him, and I'll, and I'll, if you see me, I'll probably try to straighten it out like, oh, I'm not doing anything crazy. But you know what? I, it's not crazy for me to think that he says his promises are true and that he is always by my side, that he will not leave me or forsake me. So guess what? I'm going to put my arm around my Jesus. His waist is about right here because he's really tall. And we are going to just walk and pray and then rejoice together. I'm going to... I'm going to skip page 20 through 27. No, I'm joking. Um, The last thing I want to talk about really quick is, um, you know, it began in the garden, choosing another master over the, the master. And it ended at the cross. And all the stuff that happened in between is very important. But I think about the garden, and I think about, how God made his creation to reflect the creator, how he made me and some aspect of God. I don't, I yet to find it, but every now and then I'll see pieces of God flow through me, whether it's my motherhood or my wifedom or my, um, my skills with speaking. If I have any, you know, all of that is part of when God created me, he put these little pieces in me. And it was, it's great. This movie, Papa God says to everyone that he or she uh, meets, I'm especially fond of this one. Could you imagine Jesus, King of King, Lord of Lords, looking you eyeball to eyeball and saying, I'm especially fond of you. That feels good. That just feels right. A couple weeks ago, going to embarrass my husband one last time. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had been here super, super late at night. 
with our kids, we were working, working, working. When the when everybody goes out the front door, we're usually packing out the back door and locking things down. And there's great soldiers in this church. We have great people with us. But sometimes leadership needs to lead, and that means we're the last to leave. And our kids have been gracious and, and not super crabby about that. But it was late at night. And in my door kicker way, I knew that we needed supper. And at 7.30 at night, I didn't have anything defrosted. I, I just didn't know what we were going to eat. And so I called Chinese and ordered our Chinese order. It's co- we call it cheap Chinese because it's very cheap in our budget. And plus rice expands in a 15-year-old son's body. So you can just give him like <laughs> a spoonful and he's good. Because um, if not, it's like 30 bucks later. So I'd ordered cheap Chinese and um we were going home, and we were just weary. Our our bodies were weary. Our thoughts, our our everything was just weary. And Steve looks over at me driving. We have four kids, three dogs, craziness in our van. And Steve looks at me, and he said, what do you think we should do for supper? Usually after he asked that question, I realized I probably should have run it by him first. But I'd already ordered supper. I'm like, um, maybe we should order Chinese. Thinking if I made it his idea, it would be a great one. But if it's my idea, then I might get in trouble, and I don't want that. So um, I said, maybe we should order Chinese. And he said, you know what, that's actually a really good idea. And I made some silly notion with my phone. I was like, boop, 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 boop. He's like, you already ordered it, didn't you? (laughs) And I... (laughs) And and I said, yes, it's ready now. And he started to giggle so hard. And he looked over at me and he said, you're beautiful. I know. And I burst into tears. You know, this man tells me often, you're beautiful. Whatever. Hey, Steve, do you like this outfit? Yes. You didn't even look. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. But in this moment, I believed him. Because he was reacting to me being me. Me being the silly one. Me being the door kicker. Every part of me that it could have gone really weird in that situation. Every part of me pleased him. And his reaction to that wasn't, you're so funny. You're so great. He just said, you're beautiful. I will never forget the feeling I had sitting there going, I believe you. He could tell me a hundred times, and 99 times I won't believe him. But this time I believed him. When Jesus was on the cross and he was dying and thinking of me, I believe him. I believe him because of the intensity of who he is and who he says he is. I believe him because who else would ever have done that for me? Who else would have done that for you? I believe him because back in the garden, when the sin happened, when the great sin happened, the saddest day, God didn't just give up and leave and say, well, you're on your own. No, God came and he gave us clothes, which leads me to believe that when I sin, I need new outfits. But, um, no, okay. Um <laughs> Okay, but, um, (laughs) and I'm done. (laughs) Let's pray. (laughs) I don't think you can come back from that one. Um, um, I just, I believe him. I believe he, he is who he says he is. I believe from the garden to the, to the tombstone that was rolled away that he is, He's got the answer to all my questions, and I don't have to stand up here and answer him like I know something. All I have to do is know that he is the answer. He is the master. I don't choose any other one. I don't look to the left or the right and say, well, maybe that's a better plan than what God has. I just say, you know what, God, you said it. I do it. And that's, he's especially fond of me. And it feels good. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for choosing us over and over again. Thank you for choosing the cross, for the blood sacrifice you made for my life, for the lives around us. 
Thank you for the choices that you've allowed us to have, but with clear direction as to life and health and prosperous being and favor. Thank you for the, the life you've given us, God, that we are the joy set before you on the cross, that we are the ones you were thinking of, that this world did not overwhelm you or make you shy away from goodness and grace, but God, you only created more and more and put your grace and your love into each being. I thank you for the creatures and for the birds in the air and the 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 animals on the land, God, that every part of your creation glorifies you. Every part of it tells us a part of your nature and that we get to be authority in this world because of your cross. Jesus, you have blessed us. You have made us feel worthy of you. You've made us known that we are worthy to to stand beside of you, that that I am worthy to put my arm around your waist. And when you say you walk with me, it's it's just in step. We're in sync. We're walking together step by step. God, please don't ever let me forget the feeling of having you pressed up against my side as we walk. Let me just always remember that you're there, that you've never left, that you didn't leave us in the garden when it looked so horrible, but you covered us in grace. You covered us, and you stayed with us. And through your disappointment or your despair or your sadness for the sin that we've, we've now been exposed to, that you never walked away. You never shook your hands and said, okay, enough, let's start all over. But you always provided a way. And thank you for the cross, for your son, Jesus, that he was the way, the truth. He was the life that you had for me, that I am the joy that you had for him. Bless you today, Jesus. We worship you, your great name. Your beautiful, beautiful, powerful name. You are who you say that you are. for your time today. Thanks for letting me read you one of my favorite stories. Be blessed as you go this week. Oh. I special guests speak here every now and then, so have a great week. Love you guys.
We are one.